0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton Studio. Today in the show, we're going to be talking a little about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat, but we've got a lot of time set aside today to cover your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Or if you would like to call into the show, we'd be more than happy to talk to you as well. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So this morning I was talking to some agronomists and I said, you know, after yesterday, as a farmer and an agronomist, I'm super excited. It's hard not to be when you see corn and soybeans going limit up. Now I realize that the same thing didn't happen again today. But the point here is simply this. As a farmer... You have a good opportunity, especially when you're in corn and soybeans and seeing what commodity prices are. You have a good opportunity to make some money this coming year. But anyway, I was telling the agronomist, as I see it, there are certainly some things that could ruin those chances and prevent that good income from coming. So I I just said, number one, you got to think about costs. And look, I grew up on the farm. We still farm lots of acres today. And whether it was from my grandpas, who both lived through the Depression and survived, uh, my dad, who was, as my brother and I will always say, tight with his money, uh, to you know many of our relatives who also farmed, it was always cost, 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 cost. You've got to focus on cost. But the way I like to phrase it to people, and as I did with these agronomists this morning, I just said, Hey, rather than costs, it should never, quite frankly, in my opinion, be about costs. It should be about return on investment. I honestly don't care if someone is rich or poor, if crop prices are great or terrible. What we should always be focused on is if I spend money on something on the farm, Will that give me a positive return on investment? That's what we are always focused on here at Ag PhD. So when you hear us talk about, oh, this thing costs this much, this costs this much, sometimes we'll get emails or calls in people saying, oh my goodness, you want me to spend all this money? No, I don't want you to spend all that money. I want you to make money. So it doesn't matter if we're talking a dollar or we're talking a hundred dollars. If you're going to do it, we want you to have a positive return on investment. But anyway, I just said to these agronomists, here are the five things I kind of look at that could ruin these massive corn and soybean potential incomes that a person could get this year. Number one is weeds. A lot of our industry has been focused on a whole bunch of other things over the last few years. You know, reading the farm magazines, and it's this thing and that thing, and, oh, we got to do cover crops. I'm going to do this. I'm going, oh, wait a second here. Let's just step back to the very basics. If you have weeds, you have lost yield, period. If you have weeds, you have lost yield, period. So, here's the point. When you look at what the potential income is this year. So, I'll just give you the example off our own farm. So, we've averaged around 70 bushel beans for probably the last, I don't know, 5, 10 years. You take that times $12 new crop soybeans that we can get right now. That's $840 an acre. $840 an acre. So, you gotta make sure you're using the right rate. Even if you have to make an extra trip, uh spending a little more money on a better product, using the right adjuvants. I mean, grand total, what are you gonna spend? An extra five, ten, maybe even twenty dollars to protect eight hundred and forty? I'm not saying you have to spend any extra money, but I am saying you need to get great weed control. Use a good pre, follow with something good post. So that was number one. Number two, seed and seedling diseases. And I know it's dry in my region of the country. The Dakotas and Minnesota are all in the drought area if you look at the drought monitor today. In fact, most of the northern United States is. But there's still moisture in the soil, and the soils are going to be cold. There are farmers already planting today, which I think is a little crazy in our region because we're ahead of the first plant date for crop insurance. Our advice is always wait till at least the first date for crop insurance, and then you can plant. April 10th is the first date for corn in my region and April 25th for soybeans. But anyway, here's the point. When you're planting early in cold soils and you never know, I mean, literally tomorrow or or the next day rain could pop up. You just don't know. Seed and seedling diseases absolutely hurt lots of yield every year. So just make sure you're using a good seed treatment and make sure you're buying good seed. Next thing, foliar diseases. I, I... have been hearing this for a little while, so I did some more checking into it. Um, there are a lot of fungicides that are already selling out. Uh, I just heard, let's see, it was yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday, that BSF is now out of Preaxor. So if you want Preaxor, you need to get it. Go pick it up. Don't just order it because it's not going to show up. BSF's out. Uh, FMC's out of Zyway. Fordix is, uh, from the way it sounds, out. revitech BSF's out. Uh, Valtima, BSF's almost out. Uh, Acropolis sold out. Are you seeing a common theme here? Okay, there are a lot of these fungicides as people have been figuring out, you know what, if corn's going to be five bucks and soybean's going to be 12 or 13, and quite frankly, I think there's a chance they could go to 15, um, I'm for sure going to do fungicide. and You know what, I'd usually do it once. I think I might do it twice. I'm not saying that you should ever do it for sure, but if the return on investment looks pretty good, then why wouldn't you do it? But My point is, if it was me, well, we do farm, and I will just tell you, we're going to be getting our fungicide now as opposed to waiting until right in season. You can always return it. But the problem is, you might get your fourth choice for fungicide if it's in season, and all of a sudden, your favorite three products are out. Also, when we talk about foliar diseases, it's not just rainfall, it's humidity. Next thing, insects. The economic threshold for insects totally changes when the crop price goes way up like this. And keep in mind, insecticides are still really cheap. And then finally, the last thing is drought. And I realize if you're a dry land farmer, like we are on our farm, you might say, well, there's nothing I can do about a drought. Yeah, there is. There's a lot you can do. Number one is do a good job in terms of balancing and fixing your fertility issues in your soil. It's a proven fact. If you have ample and balanced fertility in your soil, your crop will use a lot less water because it doesn't have to try bringing water in to get more nutrients in. It's already got the nutrients. So take a look at that. Also, make sure you're very timely removing the weeds the insects diseases that will drought proof your crop to some degree and then there are certainly some of these biologicals or natural products you can use that will help boost your drought tolerance as well so there are a number of things oh and don't forget pick the right variety if you're all worried about drought talk to your seed dealer today switch varieties out to something that's good for drought so anyway take a look at all these things there's a lot of potential this year right after this we're going to talk post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat stay tuned
4: A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support, let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: Welcome back to AgPHD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us today, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, just give us a call 844 44 AGPHD, or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. So today we're going to talk just a little bit about post emerge grass herbicides in wheat. Now, I realize if you're planting spring wheat, you probably haven't even done that yet, but (laughs) we're just getting you thinking for what could be coming here down the road and how are you going to manage that grass we were just talking a little bit earlier in the show about you know if commodity prices go up then there's a better chance that a lot of these crop inputs would pay especially if you've got some weeds out in your field so anyway to start the show off we're going to go out to the state of Idaho we got Curtis Rainbolt on with us he is with BSF Curtis how are you doing today
5: doing well thanks for letting me join you
0: you bet So with BSF, you've got something that I I look at as a little bit different than a lot of the other wheat options. In Clearfield Wheat, you have Beyond. So talk to us about that ALS herbicide just a little bit and the grasses it's best on in Clearfield Wheat.
5: Yeah, so when we think about Clearfield Wheat and and Clearfield Plus Wheat, which would be the newer varieties, uh, and we are using that herbicide Beyond. Um, and if you're an alfalfa grower, maybe you're familiar with the same active ingredient as, as Raptor. But, um, yeah. Beyond has a nice fit once we have that, you know, that trade in there for tolerance in the wheat. It lets us manage some of our really difficult grass weeds. Uh, we have suppression of feral rye, which can be challenging to, to manage in most all situations. I'd say it's highly effective on jointed goat grass and, and it does a pretty good job on downy brome and, and quite a few others as well.
0: Yeah, and that's important because if you look at the, I'll call them conventional herbicides that can go on any wheat, there aren't a lot of good choices there for those grass species that you mentioned.
5: Yeah, that's, you know, I I realize maybe it's a little bit more challenging. You have to plan a little bit ahead to get the clear field or clear field plus spring or winter wheat and get it in the ground. And you always want to keep good field records and if you're putting out beyond, make sure it is going on the right field. Um, yep. because, you know, it obviously will hurt conventional wheat, but, um, that ability to apply it over the top of wheat just gives us selectivity that we can't find with some of the other, uh, grass herbicides out there. All
0: right. How about the rate? Is there a certain rate that you're going to recommend if you have lots of grass pressure or like for you, when you make recommendations, is it always just the same rate?
5: Uh, Typically, I'm recommending, um, if we're making, in the case of, say, downy brome or jointed goatgrass, somewhere between four and five ounces, a little bit less for the jointed goatgrass, up higher in the rate range for for downy brome. I think that, you know, around five or six ounces is probably what goes out most often. Probably more important than the rate, though, is the adjuvant and then the uh, nitrogen fertilizer source in there.
0: Yeah, that was the next thing that I was going to ask you about. Just so we're clear, I would want you to uh, tell (laughs) farmers today on the radio what you like to see exactly for the adjuvant and the nitrogen source, because we do get quite a few questions on this.
5: Yeah, so it is good to clarify that up. It's something we, we focus on every year. And so if you're growing clear field wheat, Clearfield winter wheat. That's what we call single gene. And you're limited strictly to non-ionic surfactant there. Right. Uh, and then for a nitrogen source, we would like um, UAN or ammonium sulfate is our preferred thing rather than a, you know, a water conditioner that's maybe more uh, designed for glyphosate. If you're growing Clearfield plus wheat, um, we open that up on the advent choice because that's what we call the two gene wheat. And it's got more tolerance to the herbicide and for there, you can use crop oil, methylated seed oil, high-staffectin oil concentrate. I typically lean towards methylated seed oil at yep. 1%. And if you're really going after tough grass weeds, I like to see uh, Solution 32 urea nitrate um, somewhere between 10 and 30% of your volume, particularly if it's something like feral rye, downy brome, we want to be it up
0: higher in that range. Yep. Yep, I agree with you. And then the other thing that, Uh, that you do get out of Beyond is some residual control for a while. So, yeah, definitely a good option. Uh, Again, we've been talking with Curtis Rainbolt. He's with BASF. Curtis, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. All right, let's head out to the state of Pennsylvania now. we got Dwight Lingenfelter on with us. Dwight, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. Excellent. So at Penn State over there and with your uh, extension agents that you have in the state of Pennsylvania, I mean, what, what grass is number one are you mainly after when we start talking about grass control in wheat?
6: Yeah, so there's probably about four four grasses that we deal with. Um, annual bluegrass is a big one. Yep. And then it, it's uh, perennial cousin, the rough stalk bluegrass is starting to get uh, foothold now in, in the area. Um, and then, and then some of the different brome species, we have a lot of downy brome and then sheep and chess are all part of that brome family. And then annual ryegrass is another one that, uh, that we deal with here in the region.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'll just say this, those are all tough grasses. I like talking about foxtail because that's easy to control, but you just mentioned a whole bunch of them that aren't that easy to control. So what, what are your recommendations then when farmers tell you, Hey, I've got these weeds.
6: Yeah, so we're kind of limited with the number of herbicides we have. I mean, we, we have uh, axial XL and axial Boulder are, are, are ones that we can use for, for a few of those species, namely things like the annual ryegrass. Yeah. Um, Osprey is another one that we, we use quite a bit. Um, that that does a pretty good job on the bluegrass species and also brome. Um, Powerflex is another one that's, that's being used uh, quite routinely for, for some of the bluegrass and also ryegrass. Uh, and also, the brome does a pretty good job on those as well. Um, a little bit of metribuzin goes out, especially when we have when we deal with things like annual bluegrass. And then finesse finesse gets used a little bit. Um, it's it's really not as good this time of year. But if if you need to to get some suppression of some of these grass species, that that, that has some activity on a, on a couple of them as well.
0: Okay, you mentioned two products that we basically never talk about in wheat metribuzin and finesse i want to talk about finesse first i get worried about the carryover are are you not that concerned about the carryover in your geography and your soils
6: uh, we are yeah we are so <laughs> yeah. so in a case like that we would definitely uh, you know recommend that they follow the label and and uh you know, make sure that they're they're very aware of the situation before they use a product like finesse.
0: Yep. Now, Dwight, you've never you may have never heard of this before, but farmers sometimes change their minds, and so that's the issue that we've run into a lot of times with the super long residual products. That a guy will forget sometimes. Oh yeah, that's right. I did have that on there, and because they tell us when they buy it, oh, uh, we're going to do this next year, and then it changes. So that's why we've usually stayed away from finesse. And how about metribuzin? We just have seen too much crop. Injury, in our opinion, how are you getting around that?
6: Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, that's another one of these these products that, that we we uh, recommend uh, kind of as a somewhat of a last resort. Um, we're, we're dealing uh, quite a bit in our area with uh, ALS resistant uh, chickweed, so that it's used for that. But but also it does have some activity on 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 things like uh, annual bluegrass as well. Um, you're right. I mean as as, as we, we go further into the season, you, you definitely can get get more more injury. So we always talk about, you know, it, it seems to be the, be the, the safest. Um, around that green-up uh, standpoint, kind of where we're at right now. But as, as we go later into the season, we, we do, do, do tend to get more injury.
0: Now you mentioned PowerFlex that has activity on a number of different grasses and we've liked that as well. It doesn't have near the carryover that uh, Outrider or Olympus has. Have you had any carryover issues there or has that been pretty good rotating to a number of different crops?
6: Yeah, for the most part, that that's a, a pretty good pretty good product in our area for for the limited rotation for we can get into yep. things like uh, soybeans uh, for you know double crop beans as mm-hmm. uh, typical with with Power Flex. So so yeah, that that's that's been that that that's getting some more traction in our area as well. East that, that product.
0: All right. And then the other thing we really haven't mentioned is just cultural practices. So what are you usually telling guys before they get to their wheat rotation in terms of cultural practices and eliminating any of these grass species?
6: Well, so, so, so yeah, make sure if, if they can get a, a good burn down on before, before the time to prevent any, any seed production from, from, from the, you know, the, the weeds coming into the crop is a good, good thing to consider. Um, you know the, the whole aspect of tillage versus no-till. That's another thing to consider, um, and just yeah, ma- making sure that uh, you know if, if they can get somewhat of a, a pre-emergence product on in the fall. That's one thing that we would recommend as well, um, especially if they know they're going to have these these uh, these problem grass species in in the in the small grain. There's some pretty good. You know, pre-programs that, that do a pretty good job as well. Yep,
0: there definitely are. We are in complete agreement with you. Well, great stuff. Again, we've been talking with Dwight Lingenfelter. Dwight, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: You work for results. That's why the Enlist We control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
2: With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG.
3: Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro force field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com/hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop Mfg. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed to soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com.
4: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com.
3: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details
2: comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help.
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat on the show today. And certainly if you have the opportunity yet to get a pre-emerge product on if you haven't seeded your winter wheat or I should say your spring wheat, we would encourage you take a look at that. Prepare is a fantastic option, really cheap, less than 5 bucks an acre. You could also go with something like Anthem Flex that has Zidua and AIM in it, or the active ingredients found in Zidua and AIM, well, Zidua is a group 15, and there is no other group 15 that is labeled for wheat, at least in the United States. And so we would encourage you take a look at that as well as a pre or very early post. And by the way, in terms of the pre with that group 15 Zidua or Anthem Flex, either way, you gotta wait until that wheat is germinated just to be safe. So you do it right before the wheat's about to emerge or right after it emerges. So that could be pre or I should say late pre or very early post, that's when we like to see that. That group 15 has no contact activity, just residual control, whereas prepare has both contact and residual activity. But anyway, then you get to post-emerge grass, and it does depend a little bit on if you've got winter wheat or spring wheat. So with winter wheat, for example, we do really like PowerFlex because that has good activity on a lot of the weed species like downy brome that we will see more commonly in winter wheat as opposed to what we usually see in spring wheat, which is foxtails and wild oats. Now, if we're talking foxtails and wild oats, that's where we really like axial. There's also the old Puma, uh, the generic is called Parity. And if you want a combination of Axial and Puma, you could get Axial Bold. That is one that is out now from Syngenta as well. But anyway, Axial, Puma, and then of course Axial Bold are all what we call ACC-ace herbicides. There's also Discover from Syngenta, and uh, Corteva is the same thing, and they call it Next Step, NG. So you could use that as well. So all those are pretty good on wild oats and Foxtails, Not the best on some of the brome species, but for spring wheat and a lot of the grasses we have in spring wheat, they're great. Now, those are ACCA's products. ALS products uh, would be like the PowerFlex I mentioned for winter wheat or in spring wheat, Everest 3.0 is an ALS product. Uh, That is the same active ingredient as what Prepare is as the pre-emerge herbicide. Okay, so those are all ALS herbicides. Now, one thing I wanted to mention too before we leave this topic here is it's just like when we talk about grass herbicides in corn or soybeans or any other crop, if you're going to mix a grass herbicide together with a broadleaf herbicide, there's very often what we call antagonism. So in other words, when you put them together and you go out and spray just the normal rate, you're going to find that your grass control is going to suffer. So instead of getting 100% control like you would or at least hopefully you would, with the grass product all by itself, you put that together with the broadleaf herbicide, and now your your control drops to 95% or 90% or 85%, something like that. Now, this is no big deal if you got 10 weeds in the whole field. Okay? Who cares? If you have 10 million weeds in the field, this is a big deal. So we would encourage you, for the very weediest fields you got, number one, use a pre in addition to the post, but number two, split your post grass, from your post-broadleaf. And what I would probably do is I'd spray the grass herbicide first because grass is the bigger yield issue in wheat. So I'd spray the grass herbicide first, spray it when the grass is small and you'll get good control, and then come with your broadleaf herbicide later. If you want to put the two together, like I say, you certainly can. It's just your grass control is going to suffer a little bit. And then there are also combination products out there like for example husky complete that's got varro that's an als herbicide for the grass and it's got husky that's a really good broadleaf herbicide so anyway there are there are combinations out there otherwise you can mix your own grass and broadleaf together but i guess we would just really encourage you number one When possible, use a pre. Number two, scout your fields. If you're seeing much at all for grass, get it done or get it sprayed early. Even if it's earlier than you would normally spray, if you see a bunch of grass out there, control it. Because once you see that grass and a bunch of it in your fields, it's already hurting your yield. So we've talked already a couple times today about return on investment. I mean, you can have that stuff pay a lot better for you if you just get it sprayed earlier. Plus, all herbicides work better on smaller weeds in almost all cases, okay? Not in all cases, but in almost all cases. If you can kill that grass when it's an inch tall or a half inch tall, as opposed to when it's two or four or six inches tall, you got a lot better chance for control when that grass is small. All right. Uh, That's about all I got on post-emerge grass, herbicides, and wheat, other than I just want to encourage you. I know it stinks to spend money. Believe me, I'm the guy that writes the checks on our farm too. But You got to look at what's the end game. The end game is to make more money on the farm. And we know darn well that weeds rob a lot of yield, especially grass. So get it under control. In most cases, it's going to pay very well for you if you have much grass at all. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. All right. First, we've got an email from Bernard. He had sent in a question or actually a comment the other day, and we were talking about Creeping Charlie and and lawns just a little bit, and and he sent something in about water quality and reverse osmosis and everything. So we really appreciated that, and, and we responded to him yesterday. Well, he responded back and just said, Hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know I'm a chemistry nerd, and when I see a good idea, I like to pass it on. I hardly ever miss the Ag PhD radio show, best ag-related show ever. Well, thanks a lot, Bernard. Really appreciate that and appreciate any comments you got for us or any ideas you have for us. We are all ears. All right, next one comes from David in Pennsylvania. Um, he's, he's got a bunch of stuff here, so I'll, I'll try to summarize this. He says, uh, first of all, you've said many times if you broadcast phosphorus over the soil surface that it barely moves down through the profile, and therefore plants have a difficult time taking it in. Do all crops... Have a hard time taking in P when it's broadcast on the surface. And does that include grass hay, such as Timothy orchard grass or smooth brome grass? By the way, my C soil CECs are 12 to 18. So he's got what we would call medium soil. His pH range is 6 to 6.5. And, and his base saturation calcium, he says here, it's 40 to 60%. Well, anyway, uh, David, I would just say... It doesn't matter what crop it is, yes, phosphorus is going to struggle to move down into the soil. But, that said, if you have crops like some of these grass crops that have a lot of roots real close to the soil surface, and especially when, think about it for a second, if you've got something seeded in 30-inch rows versus something drilled like grass, so there's a plant like literally everywhere... When there's a plant everywhere, that means there's a root almost everywhere. So there's a much better chance that you're going to recover that phosphorus more quickly. But even so, the last week, just as an example here in our region of the country, every day we've had like 35 mile an hour winds, every day. It's, it's getting old. But anyway, my point is, if you put that phosphorus on the soil surface and it doesn't get down into the ground, well, you have a big wind like we have the last few days, not even figuring the rain or any other type of erosion, but just the wind erosion. Some of that phosphorus ends up going up in the air with your soil. And so it's a loss for you on the farm. So that's one of the things we think about. Anyway, he he also asks, how about potassium? Does that move any better? Yes, potassium actually does move better uh, in the soil. Now, it doesn't move well but it still moves better than phosphorus. Phosphorus and zinc and copper, those are pretty immobile in soil. Potassium can move somewhat, especially like in your medium textured soils. It's definitely going to move better than somebody who's got really super heavy ground. Anyway, he says, the big question here that I'm wondering is, do I go back to tillage, because I'm in no-till now, just to get fertility down in the ground? I have low fertility levels. Um, Or do I go no-till and I preserve the soil structure that I just reset last fall? Uh, By the way, he says he can band liquid in a two-by-two with his corn planter. Uh, But he says the majority of his acres are established, cool-season grasses because for him, in his area in Pennsylvania, hay pays a lot better than the row crops right now. Okay, so David, I would just say this. Am I super worried about it? to the point where I'd rip up an existing stand of a cool season grass? No, I I, I don't think that I would. But I would tell you, anytime I'm going to plant a perennial crop, if I could, at least that one time, I would put a whole bunch of phosphorus on and get it down into the ground. Now, if we're talking about, um, let's say I've got really super low fertilities and I want to invest a bunch of money to build my ground way up in one shot, well, yeah, then I would till otherwise i'd probably just be injecting some down into the ground even two by two is a lot better than just laying it on the soil surface we'll get we'll get to more of your questions right after this high yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent
3: emergence start your crop off right with the germinator closing wheel from farm shop mfg the germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com.
6: Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his
4: operation.
0: The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing.
4: More info at SoilWarrior.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
3: Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at step it up with FMC.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal US resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions.
0: We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag here on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. We're live in the Morton studio today, and if you've got a question, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. That's what George did from Bulgaria. Uh, if you've listened to the show quite a bit over the last year, I know we've gotten several emails from george in bulgaria he actually came all the way to south dakota and was at i know he's been i think at least at one of our events here uh, right at our ag phd field day site i don't remember if it was a soils clinic or or corn workshop or what it was but anyway uh, so george has got a couple questions here so well one main question really it's he says according to midwest labs my average soil cation exchange capacity is 25 Now, according to what you guys say, if I go 10 times the CEC for my nitrogen holding capacity, that would give me the ability to hold 250 pounds of nitrogen in one shot. Now, if my corn yield goal is 200 bushels and I feel like I need to apply 200 pounds of nitrogen to achieve that goal, does that mean that I can apply the whole nitrogen quantity at once or do I need to divide it by two applications? My standard program is 20 pounds of nitrogen together with the pre, 70 pounds at plant, uh, another 70 pounds at V4 to V5, and then 40 pounds at V10 right before tasseling. Now very often, after V6 or V7, we have extreme drought, and I would like to move earlier the last application, um, I'd like to move the last application earlier and combine the application at V4 to V5. But in that case, we would have 110 pounds at V4 V5. What's your opinion? All right, so George, the one thing that you didn't tell me that I would kind of like to know is how much rainfall you usually get early in the season. Now, when you're talking about drought after V6, V7, that reminds me a lot of home. (laughs) So for here, we go quite often one, two, three, even four weeks with no rainfall in the middle of the summer, so because of that we we apply nitrogen earlier than a lot of other people would that get lots of rainfall and have lighter soils we have heavier soils just kind of like you you have 25 cec we get a lot of 20s 25s so anyway i would tell you i'm i'm i don't feel super comfortable putting all 200 pounds out in the fall Uh, But I do feel pretty comfortable putting all 200 pounds out fairly early in the spring. Now, if you want to do it all with the pre or at planting time, I really don't have a big issue with that as long as you're in an area that doesn't get tremendous amounts of rain. If you got tremendous amounts of rain, I would just go with your exact same program you're talking about and put the 110 pounds out at V4, V5. But yeah, we've actually seen more issues with not having enough nitrogen early than having too much and leaching it away. We almost never leach out in our soils, nor will you in a 25 CEC, so I'm not that worried about it. Thanks for the question, George, and good luck out there. All right, next one is from Ed in Idaho who asks... Hey, guys, I am new to your show, and I was wondering if there's any place on the web to go back and watch your TV programs or listen to you on the radio. Um, yes, Ed, there there definitely is. You can podcast our radio show. You can go to agphd.com and watch past episodes of AgPHD TV as well. So anyway, we've got actually many years' worth of TV shows out there. I was just thinking about this, I think, last night where it it was going to be the 1st of April, you know, today. And it was the first Sunday in April in 1998 when the first Ag PhD TV show aired. So that's 23 years ago. We've been on TV with a brand-new half-hour show every single week for 23 years. Every once in a while, I'll talk to some farmer about, you know, working with his family. He's, you know, complaining about working with his family and, and whatever. And I go, hey, don't feel bad. I've had to work with Darren like literally every single week for 23 straight years and and much before that too. But no, seriously, it's been a lot of fun doing the TV show and hopefully it can help you. We've got a lot of that information going back uh, for a long time. And now I will say some of the things we have to update, you know, there are there are obviously price changes. There are new products that come out. There's some new ideas some different trials we've run, but a lot of our stuff, even from five years ago, still pretty well holds true today. All right. Next one is from Heidi and she sent us a bunch of soil tests and said, Hey guys, can you take a look at this? My yield goal on corn is 180 and my yield goal on soybeans is 60. All right, so I'm looking through these soil tests that she's got here and I'll just give you a couple of quick highlights and then I'll and then I'll give you my comments. So first of all, the pH range is upper 5s to low 6s. The cation exchange capacity is low. We're talking 7 or 8 for cation exchange capacity. So or here's one that's 10, but still we're talking light soil, so it won't hold much. Okay, So that being said, the first thing that I'm always going to be thinking about is pH, and it's just a little bit on the low side. So it depends on what crop is going to be raised there, but when we're talking corn and soybeans, we like to see that pH into the low sixes. So would I put on a little bit of lime? Yes, I would. Now the question is, should it be dolomitic lime that has a bunch of magnesium, or should it be calcitic lime that's primarily just calcium? Well, you, you could almost go either way. I'll, I'll tell you base saturation percentages. For the most part, we're at about 13% magnesium, but only 50 to 60% calcium. So in light soil, we actually like bumping that magnesium a little bit. So I, I would have no problem being 15, 18 on magnesium. We just don't want to get it down below 10 or 12 So that would be my concern. If you put on calcitic lime, we might actually drive that magnesium down to 10 or 12, depending on how much you put on. So if you just put a little bit on, you should be pretty safe either way, calcitic lime or dolomitic lime. The next thing I'll say is... Base saturation potassium, we always talk about 4 to 8%. Well, when you look at this, you go, oh, we're in good shape. We're at 4 to 6%. But here's the problem. When you have really light soil, it's misleading because there isn't much potassium actually in that ground. So I'm seeing as low as 180 pounds to as high as 270 pounds of of K. Now, to give you an idea on this, this K, so let me just pull up for her her yield goal here. All right. And I'm just pulling up the Ag fertilizer removal app only takes a second, but I go to corn and I punch in 180 bushel corn. Okay. It's going to take out 243 total pounds of potassium. Well, you don't even have that much in some cases. So obviously you need more potassium and in light soil like that, I mean, it's good to build up to some degree, but you can't build up like I can build up because I'm never losing my potassium ever. It's never going to leach away on me. But for you, it might just because uh, these these tests are coming from North Carolina. So, I mean, when you've got ground in North Carolina, the ground doesn't freeze like ours does. You get a lot more rainfall. You have a lot more heat. And there's in that light soil just a lot more chance for loss. So I would just say, you know, be putting some potassium on every year and you should be in pretty good shape. And then along with that, all the leachables are going to be concerning whenever you have a light soil. So that means sulfur, boron, and obviously nitrogen. Oh, uh, one last thing. I I was encouraged when I saw these soil tests come in because normally (laughs) I like to complain about, Oh, the levels of zinc and manganese and iron and copper are too low, or we don't have the tests, or you know something's wrong, the ratio's wrong, whatever. Um, actually, these tests are pretty good for zinc levels, manganese, iron, copper, even phosphorus. So that stuff was all pretty good. It's more on this. Hey, we got to adjust pH, take care of the leachables, and then get a little more potassium out there. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, Let's see, we got time for one more here before we take our next break. This one, I don't have... Oh, it's from TF, who says, Hello, gentlemen. Are there any decent robotic weeding machines coming to market in the near future? Uh, Like an ag Roomba that you can send out without an operator. This was discussed when I was in university almost 20 years ago as the future, which is ironic, uh, as cultivation between rows was considered ancient in the mid-2000s. Thanks. Okay, so TF, no, there is nothing that I know of as a robotic weeding machine to go out there. One of the challenges that we have anymore is just cost effectiveness. So when I was growing up on the farm, we did go hand weed with a lot of things because labor was super cheap. And if you looked at the herbicide cost, you go, oh my goodness, herbicide costs were way higher than they are today. And our crop prices are like three times higher or four times higher today than when I was a kid or more. So anyway, uh, no, unfortunately, uh, you know, with all that, we just look at, hey, herbicides are really inexpensive and there just isn't anything, unfortunately, for robotic weeding. Maybe someday that'll come. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed the right products, plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid, apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
1: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
3: Wherever you go, Whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet, however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash
6: farm your way. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean—they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well,
3: it's a little like
6: nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k-y-b-e-r herbicide.com/soy.
3: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, live in the Morton studio. I am Brian Hefty. Earlier in the show, we were talking a little about, or I was talking a little about crop insurance and not to exceed or not to plant earlier than the first crop insurance date. Uh, Larry from Illinois called in and said, well, keep in mind, there is insurance to plant earlier than that first crop insurance date you just need to talk to your insurance agent and uh, also it's possible to get even more from the replant and so anyway i i guess i i agree with that i'm just talking about the standard date for crop insurance so if you haven't talked to your insurance agent and figured something else out you got to look at what's the date for your area And it really varies, obviously, depending on the area, depending on if you're planting corn or soybeans. So anyway, I I would just say talk to your insurance agent if you've got questions on that. Uh, All right, let's get back to our mailbag questions here. Uh, Andres from up in Saskatchewan says, uh, Hi, guys, we are grain farmers. We have a, a big operation where we rotate wheat Durham barley canola lentils and chickpeas well we're dealing with very high pH soils over a lot of our acres and cation exchange capacity uh, off the charts at around 40 to 50 Uh, now the sample I sent you is not what all the land is like mostly we have issues with high values of magnesium sodium can be a problem in some areas The sample I attached is a 180-acre piece on one of our sections. This piece has not been cultivated before, and I just started to break it last fall. It's not in a low area of the field, and it has some slope to it. We moved to Canada in 2017 from South Africa, and I'm familiar with using lime and the soil balancing like the Albrecht system, but one can never learn enough about this. Anyway, around here, guys are not really familiar with that Albrecht system and base saturations or calciums or anything like that. Well, I'm unloading lime and stuff next to this field now and have all the eyes in the area on me, probably thinking I'm totally nuts. Looking at this soil sample, it will be a challenge and might take some time, and I convinced myself I am nuts, but will never know if I don't try. I listened to just about every YouTube video of Ag PhD and Neil Kinsey. Uh, Neil was also in South Africa a long time ago, by the way. Uh, you guys are doing a great job, and thanks for sharing the information. All right, so here is where... Things start to fall apart on this soil test, and I can see why he said, I think I'm nuts. Those were his words, not mine. Uh, But anyway, sodium. The sodium levels are terrible. Uh, We're talking 19%. If you look at 19% sodium, I got to be honest, I'm shocked that anything was even growing there. I really am. Now, I I will say too, every soil lab tests things a little bit different I'm not familiar with the lab that he used so I don't know I'd rather see some tests run at a lab that I am very familiar with so I I can't say that I can interpret the data completely all right so let me throw that out there first Also, I would say when we start talking about exchange capacity figures or cation exchange, total exchange, however you want to look at it, those exchange capacity figures, because this one is around 40. So when you start thinking 40 CEC, you go, oh, my goodness, that's super heavy soil. Yep, that is. But when you have really high amounts of calcium and magnesium and sodium in fields, the cation exchange capacity can be overstated because most labs will use a calculation to figure cation exchange capacity. Okay, so my point is, we might not actually have 40 CEC, but we do actually have lots and lots and lots of sodium. So, I, I I've told this story a couple times on the radio, but last year, I had right after an AG PhD soils clinic, I had a, a lady come up. And she starts crying before she even gets her question out, and I'm going, "Oh, great! What, what do I do? What do I say? What, what in the world happened here?" And anyway, she showed me her soil tests, and I saw why she was crying because she had soil that looked like this, where it was 20 cation stage capacity, or I should say, 20 percent sodium levels in the soil. And she goes, "Nothing will grow there. I can't even get a tillage tool into the ground there," and I don't know what to do. And I'll be honest. I mean, when it's that far gone, it's really hard. It's going to be, I, I don't think that economically we can justify bringing that back into production with normal row crops or or the crops that Antris was mentioning here, wheat, durum, barley, canola, lentils, chickpeas. I just, I don't know how we're going to do it. So that gets to be the real problem. The big thing that I have tried to stress to everyone about this is, look, when you see soils that are starting to climb in sodium, do something about it. Because otherwise your kids or grandkids, like in this case of the lady last year crying, uh, they're stuck with the problem because it didn't get managed as we went along. Usually what we talk about in these situations and like for for him in this soil test, the sulfur levels are really high. The boron levels are really high. I mean, it's classic of we have a drainage problem there. So he said it doesn't necessarily sit in a low area, but somehow some way um, we got high water table there and it's leading to problems. So if... I owned that ground. What would I do? Now, I realize I farm in the United States and not Canada. I'm just telling you, what would I do there? Well, the first thing I do is I put tile in the ground. Somehow, some way, I'd get that tile in. The next thing that I would do is yes, I, I would seriously consider getting some more calcium out there because his magnesium levels are like 30%. Okay, and that calcium is going to help mean better porosity in the soil. Uh, beyond that, I would just say like on his recommendations here, they were recommending like every single micronutrient there is. I mean, all these things. Uh, Yeah. You're, you're going to need a lot of stuff, um, a lot of potassium and phosphorus and everything, but the whole thing, oh, actually his phosphorus levels are not that bad. Uh, but I I mean, yeah, you got to look at, okay, we got to get all the fertility out there. We can, but I'd try to get anything growing there. And if that was grass before, I got to be honest, if I had seen the soil test, I don't know if I would have torn it up. I think I would have just left it personally. So I wish I had better better news for you there, Andres. Uh, and if you got more specific questions, let us know. But I think what you're doing is is right. It's just if it was me, I would get some, uh, get some drain tile out there and hopefully the sulfur, all that excess sulfur you got in the soil will start binding with the sodium to form sodium sulfate. That's a salt that's leachable. And over time, you can lower those sodium levels. But I hate to say this to you, but it's going to probably take forty years. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Uh, we got Dylan calling in uh, from Downing, Arkansas. Dylan, how are you doing today?
5: I'm doing pretty good. How are you?
0: Excellent. So uh, we've only got. I and I'm going to apologize to you. I've only got a couple minutes left today. Uh, you sent some soil tests in. I've got them in front of me right now. Do you have specific questions on those?
5: Uh, mainly, uh, it shows high iron and manganese levels. Like one test that shows 500 parts per million iron. Is that going to be a problem with toxicity or...
0: I'm really not worried about it, no. A lot of times, too, now maybe it it was fine with you, but we do see some samples that come in from a soil probe that had a little rust on it or a tool that was used to push the uh, soil out of the probe that had a little rust on it, and that will mean more iron. So the data could be skewed, number one. But number two, even if you have high iron levels, don't get too worried about it. Uh, it's funny that you bring this up Dylan I literally last night had a dream about my soils had high iron and there were good iron patches in my soil I know that I'm dreaming about farming I'm crazy (laughs) but anyway Francis Childs he was the guy that set the world record for corn yield uh, over 25 years ago at like 400 bushel corn he had huge iron pockets in his soil and a lot of people don't realize that you need lots of iron to raise a great crop so nope I'm not worried about your iron or your manganese levels Now, magnesium, your magnesium is a little bit on the high side, but your soil isn't super heavy. Okay, you've got some pretty light soil, like clear down to 7 CEC and you're at 20% magnesium. That's just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You can be a little higher magnesium in a lighter soil. You're okay.
5: Well, another question I had on the CEC, I would really consider this pretty heavy ground. And I don't know, I just feel like those CEC numbers may be wrong. How do they measure that?
0: <laughs> yeah because okay. uh- Yep, they measure it based on the type of clay, amount of clay, and amount of organic matter that's in the soil. They can also uh, do some calculations on that based on the amount of certain nutrients that they found, like the calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium that's in there. But that's the reason why we want cation exchange capacity, because sometimes for you, that might be heavy ground. But, I mean, if I go look at it, and it looks like you're from Arkansas, is that right? Yeah, oh yeah. And a lot, uh, yeah, a lot. When I go to Arkansas, I look at a lot of the ground and I go, oh my goodness, is this light compared to what I'm dealing with. So I, 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 I bet you those cation exchange capacity numbers are fairly close. So when I look at last quick thing, I got just a couple of seconds here, but I I would say one of the biggest yield limiting factors you got is potassium. Your potassium levels are really low. So I'd work on building those potassium levels. And in your, what I call lighter soil, don't forget about the leachables, boron, (laughs) sulfur, and nitrate. We got to run, Dylan. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. All right, before we go today, I just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was, or actually, it's Janelle. I'm looking right. I'm looking right at Alex and calling him Janelle. Alex, great job today running the controls. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.